could be shit. But anyone who's like thinking about questioning you is like, mm, I went to Harvard. Exactly. <laughs> if I said, hey, my name is Dr. Russell. I went to Harvard University. Okay, cool. Come here. Come here. Let, let's pay you money to talk about. And I could go up there. Bye, 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 bye. Oh, yes. Amen. What? <laughs> Welcome, fam. This is Courtney Russell Jr., and I'm here with my co-host, Emily Brocker. Welcome to Humanize. We are two Americans with totally different backgrounds and life experiences. We're coming together on this podcast to dive right at the heart of the three things that shut down tough conversations about race, culture, power, and ego. The stories you are about to hear are meant to humanize those deeply involved in social justice. Welcome to the work, y'all. Let's get it. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for tuning in to Humanize. I appreciate y'all. Much love. This is the debrief episode from the great Crystal Lanise. And I am so appreciative for this opportunity. And I just, I'm, I'm in awe. I always say yeah, that I know from every on. person, but I don't know. Like, whoo, she skipped. She skipped the line. She got me. And so she, I, I <laughs> skipped the line. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you. She did. It was incredible. Oh my gosh. I'm super excited to talk about this. I, yeah. Whew. Before we dive in, before we dive in, Courtney, it's springtime. The birds uh-huh. are chirping. Maybe the snow is melting in Estes. What, how are you doing today? <laughs> See, I was on a high and then you brought me down. It was snowing yesterday up here, Estes. Really? It was flurrying in Estes yesterday. See, this is ridiculous. (laughs) Like in Atlanta, it's 80 degrees. Yeah. 75 degrees. Where did you think it was okay for it to be flurrying at 30-something degrees yesterday? Anyway, I'm sorry. I digress. I apologize. I have some, uh, yeah. That's the kind of you're way. ready for the you're ready yes. for the heat. You're ready yes. for the summer. I need the what's your like ideal temperature? Like Ooh. what temperature do you like? Perfect temp for me would be like 75, just approaching 80. Nice oh, and sunny. Really? Yeah. That's a little that's a little hot for me. A what? Hot. I'm like, what? I'm really <laughs> Hey, we're allowing diversity of thought here, <laughs> diversity of experience. I don't appreciate that facial uh, expression <laughs> of disgust. <laughs> I'm more of a 70, leaning on like 65. I think that's my sweet spot. Oh, <laughs> nah, nah. Yeah. Like that beach weather. Yeah. Maybe even over, if I'm at a beach, over, over 80 could do. Oh yeah, sure, sure. That could do better. <laughs> but I can tell you about my day. This is what I have today, which Please is do. a big, a big water bottle uh-huh. because my doctor, Dr. Courtney Russell told me to hydrate the hell out of myself before I get my <laughs> second shot. I'm getting my second COVID shot at noon. Hey, yo. So, I mean, maybe today we'll, we'll do a little drinking game. Every time you swear, I have to take a drink of water or something. Well, well don't drown over there. Cause uh, <laughs> what you told me to do. You told me to drown pre-shot, so that's exactly. what I'm trying. Okay, okay. take there a drink. Go. There we go. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's recap. Let's recap this episode for that uh, we released last week for mm-hmm. folks who 
may not have tuned in, highly recommend going back and listening to it first, but it's okay. It's okay. How dare you? Okay. I'll be <laughs> I'm appalled. <laughs> okay. So Crystal, tell us about Crystal really quick. Okay. My professional voice. With over 15 years of experience, Crystal Lanise has helped organizations develop agile workflow processes and curate equitable and inclusive workspaces through result-driven methods. Using cultural intelligence as a catalyst for change, she converts theories into tangible practices that are measurable and attainable. She bounces work by exploring life as an elder Black millennial woman who enjoys comic book, books, music, small business shopping, plants, and naps as a form of resistance. <laughs> wow. I love that. No, now that I, we've spent some time with her, like that, that bio is actually super great because it tells you, I mean, she cuts straight to the center of things. She aligns with her values. She's yes. funny. Yes. She's, I mean, just incredible, incredible woman. So what we talked about in this episode, we talked a lot about Karen, this Karen persona and the role of white women in, I would say, you know, her, her efforts in her DEI work, as she would say to her focus is to try to get Karen to not focus so much on black women so that black women can, can be free and and live their lives. And so she really kind of painted a picture of, um, you know, how white women have historically been the gatekeeper, talked a lot about history, that history feels super important of, you know, white women's role in slavery, how slaves were commodified um, specifically to, quote, empower white women and when they were disempowered. And then she also talked about this idea of, you know, how white supremacy and patriarchy only exist because there's this idea that we've all bought into that there's limited resources and that these power struggles and conflict only happen because we're um, we're deciding who gets this imaginary piece of the pie when really that's that's an illusion. Yeah. Um, so it was, I mean, such a, a powerful, a powerful episode. And Courtney, I have to say, like, so I I listened to this again yesterday, you know, knowing we're gonna talk about it today. And I had to listen to that episode pretty slowly. There was a lot of points that I needed to like pause and like and take it in. It was a powerful experience for me because she was intentionally, and I appreciate it. And I named this at the end of the episode, intentionally using the subject you when she was talking about white women. And so I was really like, I don't know. It gave me a sense of like, it didn't pedal around my, my positionality as a white woman in, in the context of what we're talking about. And there was this emotion that was there for me um, as I was listening to the, the episode. And I was like, gosh, what is that? What is that feeling? Like, is that, is that shame? Is that guilt? Is that, you know, um, defensiveness and what, what it really was was I was so humbled by her work, her incredible capacity to talk about the trauma in her lineage for the sake of liberation, like 
the the work that she committed to doing is such a profound labor of passion. You know, as I say these words, I know that it's very similar for you. And it just, it hit in a different way knowing she was talking about her lineage and my lineage, you know, and I was just so, so grateful for her to be willing to, to do that, to do that, to bring that to our, our consciousness and into the forefront. And yeah, I was just really humbled to be in her presence and have the opportunity yeah. to have that. I mean, I, I mean, I, I was from the time we said, welcome to humanize until it was over. I was in awe of her vulnerability in juxtaposition with her strength. Right. With her audacity, with her humility, like she 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 was a perfect balance of of what a a warrior should be. Like I will cut your head off. However, I love you so much that I feel like you need to know why I'm fighting for this. Right. You right. know what I mean? Like right. Yes. Jeez, yes. it was phenomenal. You know, and yes, I mean from the origin story that as she said as the as to the reason why she possibly came into this work was when she was i think she was six or five or, or really really young and the teacher did believe that she could have gotten that grade on the test and, mm-hmm. and she had to take it again and the mom didn't really fight and i hope i'm telling not butchering this story but i was just in all that the mom had enough like she knew her daughter to the point like i don't care take it again you got it, you know, and scored higher, and she scored higher, you know, <laughs> and it made her so angry that she started doing DEI work back then, you know, like, yeah. and then just how she was so vulnerable and again so powerful in the same, like, that's on the same coin per se, you know, what I mean? and so I know, I, I, I know. from that she set the tone for that conversation, right. you right. know, and I I really appreciate I. Is nothing to me more inspiring than powerful people and then powerful women. Like they, they, they motivate and push you a lot differently than and I've experienced in my life. Like strong women always to me bring out the best of me because like mm-hmm. their strength looks different. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's really cerebral. It's really in your face. And it sneaks up on you at the same time. So all of those things kind of, kind of struck me from then to mm-hmm. even right now. So, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So Crystal, I know you're going to be listening to this. Just know that we're in your corner. Let us know, you know, how we can support you going ahead, how we can, you know, yeah, I don't know. Huh. We're just, we just love you. Love your work. But let's start with this, this clip of when she's talking about how the role of uh, slaves as a commodity for white women and how, what that created for white women, okay, you know, 400, 300, 200 years ago. Okay. 100, right? How many? <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> I can't Some, go back. Something like that. Yeah. A lot, a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Long time. Yeah. Okay. Listen to this one of the glimmers of hope that white women had, white girls had, 
was that they could own slaves. That's one piece of property that they could own. And they were often gifted slaves as birthday presents and Christmas presents. Imagine having a person, a human being delivered to you. To me, it was that glimmer at that moment as white women, white girls being oppressed, knowing that they couldn't own property, knowing that they couldn't ever do anything, um, have the right to vote. Being gifted a slave was a form of empowerment. It was the one thing they could own, right? And the fact that we created this dynamic where the only way that a white woman could see power was through the destruction of a black body is exactly why we have Cairns. It's because that was the only time that you saw yourself as an equal to white men. And again, that goes back to you being willing to trade that. So much is coming up for me, you know, yeah. To to think that when you when you think of this woman suffrage, it's always oh women fought for the right to do this, huge, you know. But people of color were such objects that women couldn't have white women couldn't have no power, no education, no property ownership, nothing, except for the ownership of a of a black body. That's that that to me makes us equivalent to dogs. You know, like you, you just gifted me some shoes, you know, like, we, like people of color were, were objects to traded on a, on a market like commerce, you know? And, and when I, when, when she, when I knew that when she brought it to, to my consciousness, then it hit me in a, di- a different way and kind of reinvigorated my fight, you know? And like I said, when, when a woman is a leader, and how they lead, they they bring something to your consciousness that either you knew, or you needed a reboot, or you needed a recommitment to a cause. You know, like mm-hmm. when you think about like Martin and Malcolm, like we hardly talk about their wives. You know what I mean? Right. Like, but you know, Coretta and Betty were were, were like. Um, I had to be amazing, strong women, probably stronger. Mo- and I'm, I will say stronger than their husbands because they're taking care of the children, keeping a mental mind, um, state of mind to understand I got to hold down a house because my man is holding down a community, but still being a wife to their, like, and give, saying the right things at the right time. It's so much that I appreciate in, in, in their realization that women are true and strong and, and should be recognized as activists in this fight, no matter if you're white or black, you know? And so, like, for her to, to, to bring that out, it just really gave me chills because we were commodities. We were gifts. We were used in, in, in an economic way, you know? And so... Karen is unsafe in her mind, but she's safe in the fact that she knows, like I said in the clip, and I mean, in, in our, on the episode with Crystal, she's safe in the fact that she knows that at the end of the day, she has protection always. She has systemic yeah, it's like, protection. It's weird. like in her back pocket. Yeah, always. You know? You it's know, like, like at least I could like, Mm. I could I, like when I when you talk about power and empowerment, 
like humans need to have agency to be, I believe in their yes full expression, right? Mm-hmm. Like to feel dignity, agency, these things are just core to any human cross-culturally. And the fact that white women have always, they they were trained into this concept that that's in our back pocket. Yeah. You know, like that's, I mean, I can feel myself like with this word of commodity that we're throwing around, like I can feel myself like pushing away from that word because mm-hmm. it's so dehumanizing and so horrible. And to actually like step in and know, I don't even know. It's like imagining like if I if I was somewhere and there were like people around and you know, maybe like felt intimidated by a black man and like called out in a certain way yeah. that I feel like the response would be very fast from people because mm-hmm. we have this, this story. And I would, you know, I was talking the other day with um, a potential client who was talking about, you know, a situation where it was just a, a you know, a white employee and a white customer and like, you know, saying something like, you know, this, this employee felt unsafe by just the proximity of this white man. And I'm like, what, what would that scenario have been if it was a black man? Like, I think that it would have been responded to, you know, potentially in a different way. Yes. And, um, we just created this story out of thin air, you know, like when I, I just keep going back, back and back in time and think of like how, the colonizers and the the Europeans even came up with this concept of hierarchy of races. It was pulled out of thin air, you know, like they, (laughs) I don't know why I keep thinking about this, but you know, like they, they try to create this idea of, of intellectual superiority. Like the white man is intellectually superior. Mm -hmm. And when missionaries and so forth got to Kenya, however many years ago, the Kenyan, birth assistants were doing cesareans at that point. That was not something that they were doing in Europe. And they thought it was evil and atrocious and they, they forbade it and then went back and created that technology themselves. How many women died in childbirth? How many kids died in childbirth? Because the actually ignorance of the white people and the fear of the white people, you know, like stamped down this practice that we still obviously use today. So like that story just shows me how out of thin air this idea of superiority was and how it led to this dehumanization and commodification that is still alive today. It's, I mean, it's just really, it's so much to grasp. I hear what you're saying, and I will even take a step further to say I don't think it's out of thin air. I think the system is doing exactly what it was supposed to do and what they plan to do. The creation of races was another way to separate and and to make something scientific. You know, when you're as a scientist, you know, you you always have to say, this is how it is. This is how it is not. And it's very black and white. You know, mm-hmm. this is why as a scientist, I have, uh, it's very hard for me to be in a gray area. What is it and what is it not? You know, and so they were science. 
scientists. They were racial scientists. They were like, okay, you know what? We're going to make something and we got to define it. Because if we just leave it arbitrary to come up with, people could change it. So, you know, and the mm-hmm. science is also used as a way of protection too. Let's name it so that we can see it when it comes and appreciate it and, and kind of protect ourselves and give ourselves power. When you, when you put your name on a paper, because you wrote an article, you, you're making a legacy for yourself. That's why doctors want to be, people want to be published. Law, lawyers want to be published in a law review. Doctors want to be published in, in medical journals. You know, that's the part of your legacy. So now when the, the framers were, came over here and looked around, was like, you know what? We need to keep power in the land that we're stealing. How are we going to do this? We got to name something. Create some shit out of blue, um, whatever. Right, exactly. You know? And now Let's we have the power. Make justification. There it right. is. We have religious justification, economic justification, human rights justifications, and saying, we did y'all a favor. We took y'all from hot-ass place. We gave y'all jobs. The least you can do is work and, and make sure God is pleased with the, the level of work because you guys had a curse because as I, from the book from Stamped said that we were cursed because of the, the climate. It was a climate theory. There were different theories that, that said why people of color should be slaves, you know? And so it, it's just, there was, it has to be justifications through whoever looks knowledgeable, whoever was the first to do it, set the tone for something like that. You know what I mean? And so, I mean, look at Harvard. Prime example, once you embed it into the DNA of a Harvard, something that's well-respected, you, you, you're right, no matter if you're wrong. If you go to Harvard as a doctor or lawyer, you're an amazing doctor or lawyer just because of the name, right. you know? Yeah, you could yeah, be shit. So you could be shit. But anyone who's like thinking about questioning you is like, mm, I went to Harvard. Exactly. <laughs> If I said, hey, my name is Dr. Russell. I went to Harvard University. Okay, cool. Come here. Come here. Let, let's pay you money to talk about. And I can go up there. Bye, 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 bye. Oh, yes. Amen. <laughs> what? That's what like. It, it, so right. those guys set up institutions, intellectual institutions, higher learnings, religion, all of these things to justify slavery. And even like, and, 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 and women, white women just say, you know what? The best thing for us to do to be safe is to adhere to this because we may not have management over our bodies. We can't get a job. We can't own anything. But look, we got people. It don't get yeah. it don't get better than this. I feel like it's only really been in the last couple of years that I've started to understand white women's specific positionality. Mm-hmm. And I think that was probably brought to the attention with Layla Saad's uh, original piece that she wrote, I think maybe for the Atlantic on, um, I need to talk to spiritual white women, I believe was her original piece and just really yeah. naming the role of white women. I feel like it's the layers of privilege, you know, that I learn about uh, and power that get just like closer and closer uh, to me that are really important to understand the specific, like in, in context of this, that it makes a lot more sense again, why um, specifically black women were really rolling their eyes slash angry with um, 
the women's march after Trump's election. It's like, we can see you can mobilize. Like we see that you can do this when you, you realize it's about you. So let me, let me play another clip here that talks about, you know, I think how a lot of this lands with her. Stop your shit. I don't care about your feelings. I care about your behavior. So this is a point for me as someone who, who works in the DEI world around psychological safety. I'm constantly trying to figure out my position in this work. And I think that one thing that I do well is work with white people in their feelings. I can support people through their defensiveness and help them get to, you know, breakthroughs. So like working with affinity groups is is great Mm -hmm. for me, but I've always struggled with this, like this question of, is that coddling whiteness, right? If I'm working with these groups and trying to really work with the emotions of these groups, like from a coaching perspective, it makes sense of like, start where, where people are, you know, and try to move them from that to a more inclusive, liberated mindset. At the same time, when she said like, I don't care about your feelings, like feel whatever you want, you know, just behave well at work, like go home and think whatever you want. Yeah. I don't know. I was like, yeah, totally get that too. Like all this, like processing around white fragility. Like, I don't know. I feel really stuck in this. Like I'm frustrated with how much it seems like there does need to be coddling and like tearing, taking care of people's emotions to get them into a space where they can behave more inclusive. But then I totally agree with like, it doesn't matter all of those feelings, go home and process that. Like, just be kind and take ownership for your behaviors and the impact of your behavior and not your intention. I I don't know. I feel like I'm like swirling in these, these questions. See, you brought something um, again, you brought something to my consciousness and, and some for me to talk about figuring out your position, you know, blacks, and whites have a lot to do when we're figuring out a position in this country, you know, and white women particularly, you know, feel as though some of them, you know, like they feel bad and sad and upset and want help and need permission to say, and all of this shit that makes it, that gives us more intellectual work when I say us, I mean women of color, to make them feel as though... Emotional work. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. To make them feel better about themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, just like people of color have to to, to get out of the, the poverty mindset and think about a tomorrow and not just a today. White women, since this, this, since this episode is, is really dedicated towards that, need to stop trying to be more comfortable and embrace the uncomfortable truth that you were a part of a problem. Not that you are the problem. Historically, white women did some shit. Mm-hmm. That's the reality. We did some shit to survive. People of color have done some shit to survive, whether it's criminality, whether it's abuse in relationships, whether it's cheating infidelity and all that the reality is people we have to say yeah we did that now what so bringing it to your consciousness that 
you were a part of a problem doesn't give you the green light, white women, to say, hey, I know my culture or my, my people did this, but how can we help you now? You can't ask a person that you beating their ass, how am I going to stop beating your ass? It's my right. job, you know, to go and say, <laughs> yo, I beat I the hell out of Exactly. <laughs> Emily, I, I'm my, my fault for beating your ass. Let me pick you up and let me start crying so you can give me a crutch now and, and walk right. me to the hospital for beating you totally. up. You know I mean? That's crazy. Totally. Oh, it's totally crazy. And it's totally what's happening That's now. That's what happens all the time. Right. That's what happens. And, and like the, you know, us white women are still benefiting from this historical dynamic that was set up, right? Like this isn't just like a one moment in the past, you know, like, like in the, um, the Holocaust, like that feels a little bit more like a moment in the past. Like I wouldn't say, you know, the Nazis are still benefiting from that. You know, I would say the opposite, like, <laughs> you know, like it's, uh, yeah, it would be very hard to be a, ex-Nazi right now. So we're, we're dealing with a a very different situation where those dynamics are still benefiting the people that set up these dehumanizing dynamics. And there is like, I mean, like, I feel like almost all of our guests have talked about, you know, the white, us, us white folks are like, tell us how we, how we undo this, you know? And it really doesn't make any sense at all. It, it, It can, you know, when you, I mean, just look at it. Whenever you have a crime against a white a white woman, that's a national emergency. We're going to mm-hmm. name laws after this person, right? Mm-hmm. Now, women of color have been kidnapped, sexually trafficked. Atlanta is a hub for that. We hardly hear about, yeah. you know, sexual exploitation. But I promise you, if you went up to suburbs in Orange County, California, and started trafficking white women, Yo, know, this shun is it, it, the National Guard is out there because white women should be protected. Women of color should be used. That's just that's the reality. That's what that's the world that we live in. That's the mind frame a lot of times. And so even women of color who, who are subconsciously living a reality of survival. They adopt and just accept their reality as law. Some of them and say, you know what? I don't know how to re- really act advocate and respect myself. So I'm just going to adhere to this bullshit. Yeah. You know? And so, because they feel, they don't feel protected and white women feel protected and that pisses me off, you know? And so uh, that, that came up for me too to the cause. What you just named right there is exactly why I take issue with Robin D'Angelo naming it white fragility. Cause there's this idea that it's like, Oh, the fragile, you know, the fragile white woman needs to be protected, even protected from her own violence. And that, that word that just does not, you know, I think I, and I'm not alone. I I know I've heard other people talking about this and I think people are going to come up with another name and I just constantly try to distance myself. I've never read white fragility and so many people hear my work and they're like, Oh, you're like Robin D'Angelo. I'm like, no, (laughs) No, no, no. <laughs> and that's yeah. something we were going to talk about with Crystal, but we got wrapped up in so many, Whoa. so many Whoa. different things. Like we had, such, it was such a long episode because we couldn't yeah. stop it. Yeah. Like, it was yeah. like just getting good right at the hour mark. I mean, it's good the whole time, but um, I think white fragility yeah. also was more about like attacking the fragility of white people. 
I don't I haven't read it either, but I just read the like the the back because I was like, yeah. oh, I, I was going to read it. I even bought it, but I just haven't read it yet. But I feel like I, I need to just mm-hmm. just so I can know if the book is about really protecting white people from the crimes and the atrocities that they did. Yeah. That that's no, I don't think it's about <laughs> we're both just guessing. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't think it's about protecting them. I think it's about naming that that's the emotional experience that a lot of white people are up, you know, work through. They work through the fragility in order to step into anti-racism. They need um. to work through that fragility. Uh, but I'm just saying, like having that as the accepted Kyle. term that's getting yeah. thrown around now yeah. of like, oh, your defensiveness is this white fragility is just even naming that concept of the white emotional experience as fragile. is just too sweet. Exactly. And that, as a, <laughs> you know? If I was a white woman, I would say like, why do we have to be fragile? Why do we have to be protect? Like we messed up let's 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 fix it you know like let's get in the yeah, dirt let's get in the mud you know so that's, that's kind of offensive it, yeah. too you know what i mean that's like something that came up for me was like karen's have the privilege to be women and a white woman right so let's listen to that clip right, right now another way to think about karen is karen is white privilege personified you know it kind of walks around in a way that's very I mean, without a care in the world to, to, to a certain degree. Think about it like this. You know, Black women sit at the intersection of race and gender and along with other layers, but we'll just start there. Oftentimes, Black women don't get to be Black women. We have to be Black. We don't get to just be women. Like, we never get to just be women. We have to be Black first. If that was the case, we would have been voting uh, in 1920, right? Like we wouldn't have had to wait till the black folks could vote in 1965, right? So if you think about this, the privilege of Karen is that she can be both white and a woman. Black women don't get that. So tell me your thoughts on on that clip. Oh, so much. The ability to live in an intersectional life is freedom. Like being multidimensional, not being stuck one and 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 one thing because that's boring that's that's a form of like mental slavery for me and so i can't imagine living in a world where you cannot be an entrepreneur a woman a mom a woman of color all of those things at once it feels really like i'm 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 enslaved i have to be one so people can control me you know if i was a woman i i would feel like that so when you are are able to to navigate all of your existences because of a privilege that was set up to protect you there's nothing more powerful than that like you're a mom emily but mm-hmm. you're an entrepreneur you're a co-host you're a friend and you don't you don't have to worry when you walk outside your door post pandemic you walk hanging out with your friends of certain things that a black woman may have to worry about. Yeah. Because you're protected. Mm-hmm. You know, black woman has to worry about being a mom, but if she doesn't have her partner in the home with her, now she has to be the father. Now she has to protect 
her children. So she has to be a protector. She can't be powerful, but she has to wield power at the same time. It's it's a weird type of dynamics right. that that right. women of color they cannot be all of those things. They have to be a know your place. Yeah. Damn. There was a point in the episode that she also said, like, you know, if this all this didn't exist, we could just be. True. Just be. Just you know? be. Like we're just free. We're free to just like. Yes. Is that yes. so bad? Why? Why is everyone? You know, why are these these questions about like? We shouldn't be able to have diversity trainings. You shouldn't like, they're just literally discussing at my friend's work. Like, should we, I think we shouldn't talk about race in the workplace. Okay. Like that's too, it's too political mm. to talk about race in the workplace. Okay. Like, oh, okay. So you just like, you're going to get robots. Yeah. Like, okay. how can you not talk about who's in front of you? Like, this is their experience. Their experience is a certain way because of the society we live in yeah and to just be the freedom to just be you know I, speaking of something just just hit me like i i love and like one of a, a person i look up to is sean carter aka jay-z you know he, mm-hmm. he came from nothing you know he's a billion dollar man now and his hair represents now if you see jay-z's hair before when he wasn't as influential or as powerful he had a low haircut now that he's a billion dollar guy sitting in rooms with warren buffett his hair is just free to be it's just out there just growing (laughs) you know what i mean like it's going crazy and it just every time i see him it gives me chills because like yo he's free like (laughs) that's the new that's the new orientation may we all just have jay-z's hair that's it let's be free (laughs) That's all we're wanting. That's all we're wanting. Man, like, I I just want to. That's a great metaphor. I I love, I love that when she said, let's just be. We we have all of these resources. If we just sat down as a country, as a government and said, you know what, guys, let's stop playing this thing. You guys, this trillion dollar deficit, that don't mean nothing. We can print money. We can say, you know what, every store in America, nothing. No, you don't have to spend money anymore. Money doesn't mean anything, right? If we took that approach with just being and allowing people to just be because we have the resources and the power to do whatever we want for everyone, the country would change almost overnight. Poverty could not exist if there was no, no nothing there like, like capitalism saying you have to be poor so I can be rich. You have to work for me. You have to be stuck in this thing. It, it goes again. Slavery, freedom. Both of them are two end of the spectrum of just being or not just giving allowed to just be. And when she said that, it hit me. It's like, damn, huh? like I, I I need to just be able to be to sit on the beach during the winter time and read a book and not have to worry about anything. I can just be. Yeah. Like, do you understand how freeing that is? Our country kind of had a moment of how it was a moment yesterday when AOC, you know, AOC was commenting on this, but that the the Biden administration decided Uh that Pfizer, Moderna, all of these folks didn't have a patent anymore on the thing that they worked their asses off 
to create yeah. around the clock. You mm-hmm. know, like I, I have a friend who's working for Pfizer, working 100 yeah. hours a week, and that the government can just be like, yeah, no patent because we need that for everyone. I, it was kind of a, like a really shocking moment for me. Like I yeah. had to really grasp it. I, yeah. I, it's a funny thing. It's like, I feel like it's great because now we could really go for it, but I'm also like, wow, that's a huge departure from capitalism and from this concept that we've created. And it looks like the government can just make that call if they want, (laughs) you know, I was like, I was just shocked by it. I was like, they can do that. Yeah, Like they can make a radical shift when they see a need, they can just do that. And so it kind of like opened up this world of progressive policy. I know there'll be a a big backlash at some point, but I'm like, oh, wow, we can just make a change if we decide to. You said something just now that hit me. When they see a need, right? Yeah, Mm. right. So you don't tell me you don't see a need for freedom for all. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. So so this is why like. That is an identified not need. Oh, racism don't exist. Come on, man. White supremacy is not a thing. Oh, my. Oh, you don't see the need. Okay. And this is why when I watch Fox News, I am like, yo, do you cannot believe that Harvard, Yale, you cannot believe statistically that just given the data that people of color are not gunned down at a higher rate than whites like that's a statistic statistical fact they're paid less pay they're, you know and let's not talk about women like what are you worse mortgage it you know like their houses aren't valued in the same way like we have the data now and i think that that's a really great thing that's happening as people are are getting let's look at the numbers like we're not talking about subjective experience we have body cams now mm-hmm. like we're, and it's it's very upsetting that we need data. We can't just listen to people and hear, oh, wow, you're really experiencing something different than I am. Let's work to change that. But now it's not enough. <laughs> so but the argument is always, yeah, people of color love to cry this and cry that. Why would someone be afraid of the police and happy to start bullshit with police officers and, 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 and start a rumor that white supremacy exists that has no benefit for people of color, except for like poverty does sell police brutality and, and white supremacy for some people wins elections. You know, it does. Mm -hmm. Right. But when you think about the grand scale, you have to live in horror and isolate, like, especially when let's take it back. Let's bring it back to women. Since this is an episode of Karen, when women talk about sexual assault mm-hmm. and then men say, no, that couldn't happen. Why would, what is the benefit of a woman to say that she's been sexually right. assaulted? Right. Oh, she just wanted it's, TV time. It's a big emotional deal to say that. There's a lot of, you know, so yeah. I'm not saying some people don't lie. Some people aren't, you know what I mean? Um, trying to to have, to have vendettas and things like that. But when we're talking about power and freedom, freedom, whenever it's a, 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 um, attacked, when you are protected because of the freedom that you have, that is an audacious, egregious act to, to fuck with somebody's freedom. 
mm-hmm. unless you are the one that's objectified, unless you are the one that's not free. If you're not free, then it's like, stop complaining. Shit could have been worse. You had a good job, lady. Why are you talking about you were sexually assaulted? Hey, lady, at least you're able to be here. Stop playing. It could be worse. Like, so, like, I don't know. I, freedom is the underpinning to me of everything in life. And I didn't realize that until later in my life where, like, every conversation comes back to, to me, freedom. We're talking about education, whether we're talking about housing, whether we talk about finances, whether we talk about healthcare, it always comes back to who's free, who's not, who's protected, who's not. And if you're in the not category, freedom is a lot different and a lot as as, as a arbitrary, as a as a as a weird thing that you've never experienced. Then, if you're living in a world where systems were in place to protect you. Then you only got to think about it because you just, that's just, that's just how life is, you know? So Karen, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I'm, 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 got to slow me down. (laughs) Got to slow me down now. I I keep us going for three hours on this episode. Stop playing with me. (laughs) Stop playing with me. That's where I came to as well with my work in international development, because I had a lot of really big questions of like, is this just a recolonization of like bringing values in from another country? What is development? What would be my role here? And it it all came down to choice. Like, you know, I feel like development is choice in that people in different areas of the world, wherever they are, would have a choice to do something in this way or do something in that way. You know, women can stay in a traditional role or they have a choice to be educated or this person has a choice to do this or this. And I mean, it's a hard thing because I know that, you know, as an outsider entering another culture and creating choices or suggesting choices, it can be disruptive, but to not do that is also a place of power of like, no, I'm not going to enter into this society when I know I could create a place for people to have more choices. Yeah, It's a very tricky one. It's yeah. very, and so I fundamentally like, you know, if people are going to be working abroad, I think it should all just be around education, like creating education so that then people can make choices. Like we want to hold on to this part of the culture and we don't want to hold on to this. This was a you know, taught to me by this group Tostan in in Senegal that works with female genital cutting. And they go into a whole bunch of different villages and they do two years of education. Anyone can come and it's just, you know, adults just learning basically to think critically. And at the end of it, when they are asked to then assess like what parts of the culture do we want to hold on to that are serving us? How do we amplify those? What parts are not serving us? And they usually identify that the cutting is very dangerous and very painful and they want to get rid of it. And so they work then within networks and so forth, but that's the freedom of choice and being able to, yeah, choice, liberation. Just like a white man, like would never, in my estimation, go back in the DNA of their parents and say, you know what? I checked the box to be a black man. 
I, I would We're argue still talking that, about that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, but just like a, a white woman wouldn't do it for a black woman, but just imagine living in a country where if you're not an immigrant, you're a citizen, but you're, you feel as though you're an immigrant because a lot of the freedoms that your white counterparts have, you feel as though you don't have in your own country. Mm-hmm. So is it your own country? So as a woman, like black men have a, a horrible place in this country. Men of color have a horrible place in this country. But white, but black, black women have even like arguably the hardest station in this country. Yeah, I agree. And it's like, damn. Because they can't be protected by black men. Because black men are also under attack. White women that try to protect them do it in a caring kind of like a convenience, a, a looking through the window type help. And it may flip on a dime. And it could flip if shit get too real. Right. You know? And so they live in a country but have no friends, no, 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 no protection. But some of them fought for this country, died for this country, mm. you know, were in the military. But this country was like, yeah, appreciate it. Good luck. But fuck you and your feelings. You played your role. You did your thing. Thank you. But y'all know who we're here to protect. Let's continue to do that. And so when I say that shit like that, people are like, no, women are power. We have a first woman of color, the vice president. All right, cool, cool. Again, presidencies, vice presidencies, all of those things are meaningless because they have no power. They have executive power. So if you knew government, you would know that the president has to make sure that he assembles himself with certain the Congress and the Senate and certain things like that so that he can have a semblance of power and get any kind of legislation that he needs to get, he or she needs to get passed through the Congress. And so at the end of the day, I just need us to appreciate and just admit and say, look, freedom was not created for all. The, the role that women played in freedom looks like this. And stop tiptoeing around the shit. Mm-hmm. Because women play such a, a vital role in acquisition of freedom. And it's made to seem as though us men do everything. Everything men do is for women. If we're attracted to, if we're attracted to women and that's our, our sexual preference or the, what we do, like everything we, Hey, we get up. Oh, I hope she likes me. <laughs> oh, I really hope she, 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 she appreciates what I do. I'm going to get a haircut today, man. I hope it looks good. For, oh, this car I dropped, like everything we do is to make sure that that's that. Yo, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's it <laughs> if it wasn't for like we would just be walking around stinky as hell no education no money just just the that's <laughs> crazy seems like a silly way to live <laughs> hey so uh no it's a humor side for real and we'll just be we'll be busy <laughs> women will be busy tending to society and busy exactly tending to the family <laughs> yeah oh, exactly because <laughs> if you can you imagine if hillary became president 
But they were like, oh, 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 hell no. We'd rather have a reality TV star. <laughs> so I, I don't that know. worked out. Yeah. Okay, we need we need to wrap up here. <clears throat> no. Um, <laughs> Yo, this is oh I mean, this is how the this is how this conversation was. Crystal, it's your fault. If you listen to this, it's your fault. It's we can't end fault. episodes. You are too good. <laughs> we don't want to end it. We want to stay on this, this this thing all day. Fuck your job. Every Everything you're doing, don't eat. Just talk about Karens and white supremacy dismantling the system until oh. we feel like it's enough. There yes. you go. <laughs> That's the mandate from Humanize. The mandate. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you that my my you know walk away takeaway action item from her episode was just to to tune into gatekeeping to see how how am I a gatekeeper that was work mm. unlearning that I need to do. Yeah. I need to do that. And I need to hydrate. <laughs> <laughs> Hydrating is always a good thing. Yeah. Today it's especially, please, you didn't please. swear I very need, much on this episode. I need you. You'll be surprised. You're <laughs> like, Oh man, you will call me right after like tomorrow and say, I got no symptoms. I'm like, thank I you. Nah, my takeaway today is like, whoo, freedom, you know, the freedom to just be, and how it feels so good to live in a society where you can just be. And and Karens have had uh, the privilege to do just that, even mm-hmm. if they haven't had all of the rights that men have had. You know, they can just they can just be they can just live in a world and say, I am I'm here. And even though I'm not 100 percent just able to contribute as I want to, at least my reality doesn't look like my black neighbor, you know? And so mm-hmm. I, I would admonish any, any white woman to recognize her, um, her status, her privilege mm-hmm. of being a gatekeeper, being a, a protected citizen yeah. and protect her other citizens, protect her counterparts, because that's true power. When you can empower someone else because of the power that you inherently have or that you have, have um, worked to have, you are truly a powerful person. And so mm-hmm. that's what I would, uh, the takeaway um, would be. And an actionable step would be, please read the book, They Were Her Property by um, mm-hmm. um, Stephanie Jones Rogers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll put that in the um, show notes. Think, yeah, that's a, that's, starting that up and it's been amazing right now so please read that it was recommended by the great crystal and i second that recommendation awesome well thank you thank you courtney thank you her thank you for joining me this morning (laughs) thank you to crystal and thank you to all the listeners see you guys next time on humanize next Thanks for joining us on this episode of Humanize. Please remember to like and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Join us on Instagram or Facebook to continue this conversation at The Humanize Podcast. Let us know if you want to learn more about the professional trainings we offer. And of course, tune in next time as we continue the work. Thank you and much love.